This ad is brought to you by The Global Crier, a new Pico pod coming out April 4th on iTunes and SoundCloud. Just as the town crier of old brought news to the town square, The Global Crier will bring you the week's biggest news stories in only 90 seconds. So if you're overloaded by news sources, have sworn off the political process, or just want a podcast less than an hour and a half long, subscribe to The Global Crier podcast. You won't be disappointed. It's time, so you're listening to the noise canceling pod the podcast about streamlining life encouraging discourse and maximizing your mind hosted by frank boyce and axel clark and welcome back everybody this is episode 12 of the noise canceling pod i'm frank boyce and this is axel clark we are very excited to have you back um still lots of global listeners all over the place from belgium to uh, I think I saw a couple more from Ireland last week. That is, that's really great to see. Axel, any other international friends of yours listening in? Not, not that I'm aware of. You said the guy's guy's name was Ken, right? Yeah, Ken. Ken, you have been a very loyal listener, and and we just want to give you a shout out and and say that we appreciate it's appreciate pro- your listenership. It's probably Ken and Jen. Hmm. It's a duo out there in Colombia. Yeah, they are. They're. They listen almost every week, and, and that's as much as I listen, so that's pretty good. <laughs> so this week we're talking about Crossroads, uh, and not the movie with Britney Spears, um, but Crossroads in life where, where we reach a point where we need to sit down and, and make a decision. Um, this came up particularly because Noise Canceling Pod is, is at a bit of a crossroads as well, and I, I kind of want to just kick off the show um, and discuss with Axel a little bit about about the crossroads that we're currently at. So how how do you feel about it, Axel? So, <clears throat> well, I guess the question is, well, I guess hold on. So first, I think we have to self-assess how we've done as a podcast, and then what's our vision moving forward? Because we ha- kind of had a loose vision initially, and so I think at this point we probably, if we want to keep going, need to kind of more uh, specifically define what the vision is for the podcast. I totally agree. We've organically come to the same conclusion, I think. Um, me particularly, because I think I'm a little bit more interested in just, just the number side and, and how many people are listening. And what's interesting about iTunes is there's really, (laughs) there's no room for something that's not a niche. Like you pretty much have to, have to fill some specific niche. Uh, or be a famous person. Yeah. So here, are my, so I made some notes here, and so my first note is I do like having guests on. I think that's fun, and you get to if they if they also have a platform, it's kind of <clears throat> you get to do a cross platform uh, conversation. Uh, so definitely, I think if we continue from my preference, I, I like to try to keep getting guests on. But I think sometimes I acknowledge that our podcast probably wanders and goes a little bit long, and uh, we don't get succinctly to a point. And also, 
I think when you're talking about niches, we need to deliver something specific every week. And I don't know, at this time, I don't know that we do that exactly. And I'm not sure that just being entertaining and smart, at least we like to probably think we're a little <laughs> both, is good enough. I think you're right. You, there needs to be, you need to deliver something specific and it can't just be, we're going to be the most entertaining podcast out there. Yeah, I had a couple ideas to that. I was thinking either focusing in on like the noise canceling minimalist aspect of it or focusing in on just self-improvement. So every week be much more focused on just a topic where you can you can help yourself out or you can you can find ways to do something better or more efficient. Yeah. We'll have to list this week let's brainstorm. I think it needs to be maybe even more specific than just self-improvement. Oh, okay. Yeah, we should do some brainstorming. And the other thing I was thinking of is uh, with our rebranding, do you think we need uh, to go back and and redo some of the, the tech aspects of it in terms of intro music? Uh, I, I always like the, the voiceover is pretty good, but any thoughts on that? Uh, we'll have to, I think that should be something we consider, whether it's a complete re, like a reset or if it's just like a minor pivot. Yeah. I was thinking something a little bit more hardcore on the intro music to oh, okay. to to kind of loop in with hardcore self improvement type. Okay, thing. okay, so that, nice. That, yeah. was, that was one vision that I had. Maybe when we get our specific the specific approach or theme, then the intro music we can pick something that relates to, directly to that. Nice, I like that. So more to come on that. Keep keep listening. Don't don't give up. We're not we're not changing everything yet. <laughs> But I think we want to deliver something specific every week and come in knowing, enter the the discussion, at least knowing generally what we're trying to deliver every week. Yeah, I like that a lot. I think that's, that is apparently what the market demands. Um, but I also think it, it, it is a, a product that's a little bit, a little bit tighter. And as you said, we, we have run long a little bit, which I've, I've enjoyed on a personal level, but <laughs> yeah. I'm not sure if everyone else has, has listened to the final minutes of every podcast. Any other thoughts on that? Where, like, when did that hit you? I think probably about two weeks ago, maybe. I just, I don't know when it was. Probably about right around episode 10. I, re, I just, I felt like we meandered a little bit and we yeah. needed to, to get a little more crisp. Yeah, I think for me it was the the Samuel episode because I was like, this is ex- this is kind of exactly, not kind of exactly, this is exactly what our podcast should be. You know, having this specific topic, having a very pointed interview and having it in a time frame that's less than 45 minutes. Right, yeah, no, I agree. I thought it was really good. So... Pivoting back to our, our original topic, crossroads in life, was there, you know, looking through our, our outline, was there a specific crossroads that you wanted to dig into first or that stood out most in your mind? No, I'm interested to hear what, what's, uh, what you got. Sure. So, I mean, I would say the first crossroads of my life was when I was figuring out what college I wanted to go to. And there were quite a few options. I really wanted to play basketball, and I I went into detail in, in this decision in an earlier episode, so I won't 
I won't get too far into the weeds, but but really it came down to I just wanted to see how far I could push myself and see what my my actual potential was. And so I ended up at the Air Force Academy. And I think what's so interesting to me about that decision is how little thought outside of just wanting to play basketball was given to that decision. I think that's not uncommon. Ethics. Yeah, for sure. So the question I have in my notes is, were, were you aware at the time of that decision how pivotal it would be or how important it was? Because I think sometimes, like when you're sitting there choosing a college, you can kind of understand that the college you choose is going to determine the friends that you have for the rest of your life. Prob- I mean, it's going to determine for most people who you end up marrying. It's go- it's a It's a huge decision, but I guess you don't know what the you can't foresee what the outcome is of each different college you would choose so maybe it would be more too overwhelming to think about how like the magnitude of that decision yeah and i mean just to to piggyback on that like i don't think my mind at 18 years old could be like oh this is what i'm going to be doing in 5 years it was just like oh after you graduate you're a military officer yay right, <laughs> right. <laughs> which I mean, I'm, I'm very glad that I did it. It set my life on a very different trajectory and gave me experiences that there's no way I would have had in any other form of life or college that I had attended. So I, I wouldn't change that decision. But looking back, I'm just like, oh my gosh, there's so many things that I could have considered in that decision that, that weren't even on the table for me. Yeah. So my my decision to do ROTC and go to University of Portland, probably in October of my senior year in high school, I hadn't considered ROTC at all, and I had no idea that the University of Portland existed. And so <laughs> in, in November, uh, my dad was helping me find scholarships, and he said, hey, one of my former students did this ROTC scholarship, you should look into this. And so... That was in early November, and so the package was due at the end of November, somewhere around then. And so I put the package together. I didn't. No one in my family is military, so I didn't really have a good feel for even what that meant. But I felt like the Air Force was the service that had the was the smartest and had the best jobs. So I interviewed in December. I just happened to interview. Well, I interviewed at the University of Portland, and before that interview, I had no idea it existed. And then I ended up. They well, they give the at the time they gave RTC scholarship awardees an addition like an add-on scholarship of room and board and, and book money. So it was basically a sweet deal if you got an RTC scholarship to go there. And so by March, that was that's where I was going. From, really? Yeah, from October to March, like my whole life changed. But but at the time, I don't feel it didn't seem. It didn't seem like a enormous decision. So what if you were making that same decision now? How would your process look the dif- how how to look different? I don't oh man. I I don't necessarily Here's the thing. So you think you can do something extremely rational and so people make this these big long lists of pros and cons and like all this waiting and all this stuff. Mm-hmm. And I just don't think that humans, particularly when you talk about placing weights on each on each factor, 
I don't think you can set up your scale or your the weights in a way that's that is actually aligns with what your preferences are. And so you put together this big fancy elaborate weighing scale, and then you get out an answer, and you're like, I don't really like this answer. <laughs> yeah, no, so, that's that's a hundred percent true. But but in the same token, doesn't that point you more towards the right, like what you feel is the right answer? So I used to have, actually not used to probably a month ago i had the theory that you let me think you should never go against your gut so your gut could could tell you uh like if your gut tells you to do something and you use a rational approach and the rational approach says it's not smart then okay don't you need to like maybe not trust your gut but if the rational approach says yes do it like and your gut says no then i think I used to think in all cases the answer is no, but then I started. I guess then you'd have no options. But I think ultimately you should trust your gut more than rational at some point. But then I started reading up on like your subconscious and how it makes decisions, mm-hmm. and that it can process an incredible amount of information compared to how you rationally can process things. Uh, so I think it's foolish to discount your your subconscious and decision making, but to process that much data it has to take shortcuts and so you you naturally have biases and so somehow you have to be able to take into account the biases that you have so that you when you're trusting your gut you aren't falling for a bias that helps helps it to process all this information yeah I, i totally agree with that and i think the one one other note i would say about trusting your gut is Oftentimes, if if you do trust your gut, you're going to have a lot less regret than if you trusted the rational decision and went against your gut. Well, I think there's a study that says human beings, even if they don't rationally make the decision, afterwards they can convince themselves that there is a rational reason for doing whatever they did. So even when you think you were rational, a lot most of the time it's really your subconscious making the decision, and then your rational mind's like talks itself into the fact that you made that decision rationally oh yeah we we love to to make i mean that's making excuses right or after you get into a scenario you're dealing with some some form of buyer's remorse and you know you either deal with that buyer's remorse and and feel negative uh emotion associated with that decision or you talk yourself out of it yeah i'm not a i'm not i actually hate buyer's remorse more than almost anything what do you mean? Um, you don't you don't like having it, or you'd never get it. I reject it completely. If I ever start to feel buyer's remorse, I just reject it as as a feeling, and I I make myself think back to the exact data set that I had before I made the decision, and tell myself that based on the facts that you had, you made the best decision in that circumstance. So you're able to convince yourself most most times, all 100 percent of the time. <laughs> and you move on <laughs> um i would say i'm i'm pretty successful convincing myself um i think there's always corrections i think there's always time for retrospection and and as i get older i, I will say i i tend to look back more um so it, it's harder to like you said 100 percent of the time say i reject it but I would say for a v- the vast majority of decisions, if, I, if I'm starting to feel buyer's remorse, I can 
trace it back and, and say, you know, that was, even though I'm somewhat regretting this now, that was the best decision that was in front of you. So I'll give you an example. So well, I just moved to Nashville in August, but our last move was when I was getting out of the military in Boston and we were trying to figure out where we we're going to live. So the rational side drew um, a thousand mile circle around where our family lived. So okay. our family was mainly in, in Northeast Iowa. And so a thousand mile circle extends out to Denver. It extends to, I think it's almost like Cincinnati or um, Cleveland. And so major metropolitan area by major metropolitan area, I went through and looked at the job market, how it related to my experience. What were, what openings were there right now? What was the housing prices like? Um, what was crime like? What were average commute times like? And so just going through every factor that would hypothetically change um, how good your life was, your quality of life, um, trying to put all that into one decision. And so, you know, some cities kind of self-selected. Some cities we ended up visiting, like we went to Denver and we were like using less rational ways of like, did you like this neighborhood? Did, did, did you find a place that you wanted to live? And really just trying to, to check everything off. And at the end of the day, Minneapolis stood out far above anything else. You know, like I think Omaha was a pretty strong consideration, but the job market wasn't as strong. And, you know, we got to Minneapolis and, you know, I, I definitely, I like Minneapolis. It's a great city, but didn't necessarily feel like it was, it was home. Um, and so I think we, we struggle a little bit with that. And that's kind of the reason we ended up moving to Nashville. But when I look back on how I made that decision, you know, it was, it was really, really rational and, and based on a ton of information that I, I had done the research myself. And, and in the end, like, even though we ended up moving three years later and, and didn't necessarily feel like it, it was the end decision, um, I still, I don't feel regret for, for trying it out. So I think you definitely shouldn't feel regret in that situation. But my question is, what was your lesson learned? Would you use the exact same process when you moved? Did you use the exact same process when you moved the next time? Or did you change your process? Process was completely different. It okay. was much more emotional for this last move. Um, but there's still a rational side to it. You know, I, I still took into consideration... You know, one thing that I waited emotionally was the climate. You know, we we're moving from Minneapolis to Nashville and I said, you know, you're definitely going to enjoy the weather much, much more down there than you are there. Um, and the job market was great. And uh, see, that's yeah. that's one problem, I think, with building a rational model with a, a bunch of criteria is you end up setting up your criteria, what people think you should d determine when maybe the factor is just the weather and that's kind of embarrassing to put on your on your little spreadsheet of factors to consider with weight and if like weather is weighted 75 percent that would be like you you don't think that would be right so you you add all these other things in that really you don't care as much about that you could make do with mm -hmm. but when you build your rational model you're you're unwilling to put down something that goes against like what the norm is for making these types of decisions now, would you say you can include some emotion-based criteria in a rational decision? How do you feel about that? So, like, 
family or um, friends or you know I would I, say weather <clears throat> is is an emotion based criteria. I think you could fil- I think you could filter. You you could probably filter, but then I think at some point, I think you filter with ration like rational thoughts, and then you make your final decision on your gut. Yeah. No, but, I mean, I would say that's that's definitely how the decision to move here was made. But I also think if you're going to make your decision on your gut, then you need to actually experience... Your gut is going to be based on what your experience or what your, your experience is with that location or what your preconceived notions are of that location. So if you just have this preconceived notion of a certain place that's either good or bad, but you've never actually experienced yourself, then you're basically just relying on, if you trust your gut, you're relying on that preconceived notion and it may or may not be true. Yeah, that is true. And, and like, how do you kind of work around that after the fact? Yeah. Uh, so going back to you, let's talk about, let's talk about a major pivot that you've made um, outside of just like life decisions. Like let's talk about, so your, your most recent pivot to programming, like how, how did you get there and how did you decide that you wanted to dedicate so much time and energy to it? Or do you feel like those type of passion projects are more organically and like a a conscious decision wasn't even necessarily made? So I definitely, I made a conscious decision. So the first thing is I, I don't know why at the beginning, well, okay. So first of all, I was somewhat interested in it and I've always kind of dabbled in it with Excel and some other things. So I was interested in it first, but the thing that really got me into it is there's this tool that we use at work that was built seven years ago and it's not very good. And so what I wanted to do was fix it myself. And so I talked to the guy that in our office that handles all that. And he, he said, well, if you learn that cold fusion, I thought it was access. <laughs> and then I, he told me, no, it's cold fusion. So you're, if you want to do anything on yourself, you're gonna have to learn cold fusion. So I went home and I started learning cold fusion. And then I went back to him and I was like, yeah, I'm, I'm on board. I think I could learn this. And he'd said, well, actually it would cost us a thousand dollars to get you, uh, the, the software to be able to work in this program. So it's probably not going to happen, but at least that got me started. I went through the basic learning of like the first week trying to figure out what that would entail. And then that was this in the fall. And then at the beginning of 2016, I was kind of setting my goals and I wanted to find some, not side project, but some different skill set to add or work on. And so programming had been something I was interested in. So I started off in 2016 and then it's just taken off. I'm really interested in it. So that's, that's awesome. And we were talking about it before, just how, how much it's consumed you. Um, so obviously, obviously it was a good decision. Um, can you think of a time where you, you went down the path of wanting to learn something and it just kind of derailed for a number of reasons? I can't think of it off the top of my head, but I start all kinds of side things and I don't get excellent at all of them. Like for example, when I was in Portland, I had this idea that I wanted to be able to do a standing backflip. And so I went to the <laughs> adult gymnastics 
And I I walked in and I pretty much said, hey, I just want to learn how to do a backflip. But I couldn't do a cartwheel at the time. Mm-hmm. So they started me off doing these cartwheels and handstands. And I got something out of it, but I never even got close to being able to do a backflip. So disappointing. Do you feel like as you, you get older, you're more apt to give up something like that sooner? Or are you more apt to keep pushing the envelope and finding different ways to get better? I don't think my age has it. I think it depends on how the circumstances around my commitment to do it. So it can be both. Yes. Yeah. So it, it depends on if I'm doing this as just kind of a side thing for interest or if I'm doing it because I like truly believe it's something that's going to improve my life. I think I'm more committed. If I can get that thought in my mind that I'm more committed to it. I think I'm starting to get better at when something is clear that it's not going to give me energy or be, be a source of, of positive things in my life. I'm I'm better at giving those things up faster, but I, I think I'm, I am getting, getting better at like, even when things start to erode. So like the journaling, like I had a few days where I, I stopped doing it. Right. I, I think I'm getting better of like reeling myself back in and getting refocused to say like, no, this is something that this was important to me a month ago and it should be important to me now. I found that I, if, if I have too many things I'm working on, then that, that I end up not doing well in any of them. So I try to keep my list of, uh, habits or whatever that I'm working on to around three. And once I started doing that and writing them down, I found that I was, much better at implementing them nice yeah that is true when you have when you have too many things on your plate it does get it does get a little overwhelming and everything else gets watered down um can you think of any other pivots in terms of you know like you you had that one really good story early on about how weightlifting really kind of made a big shift in your in your physical uh not just stature but just in terms of how valuable you felt working out was. Can you think of anything else like in, in that thing where all of a sudden you started a new activity and it, it made it a much larger change than you expected it to? I think the the biggest one, and I'm actually fall, I'm having a hard time with this now, but I, all, I, growing, I probably growing up and in college and when I first got out of college, I was always a not a morning person. So I thought that was just me that, oh, I, I wake, <clears throat> excuse me, I wake up late. It's hard for me to get up early. I'm a night person. And then I tried the, I talked about this before, but I, I tried to set my alarm clock earlier to turn myself into a morning person and that did not work. And then once I realized if I just almost set a reverse alarm clock to go to bed by a certain time, Mm-hmm. Then almost not instantaneously, but very quickly, I became a morning person. So that was a big shift that that I hadn't expected, and I started enjoying doing things in the morning after establishing a night alarm clock. That's interesting. Contrarian. I think there is definitely value in if you're if you're reading something, just to try the opposite <laughs> every once in a while. <clears throat> well. It's the whole, when you find a problem, you ask, why are you having that problem? And so when you say, why am I finding it hard to wake up in the morning? It's not because your alarm isn't set. That's 
isn't set early enough, that's not the the problem. The problem is earlier that night or the previous night you stayed up until midnight. Right. And so that's like an easy, that's actually a pretty easy connection to make if you, if you actually put a little bit of effort thinking about why you have that problem. Well then, so then the next thing is, okay, I would go to bed. Obviously I'm going to bed too late, but why am I going to bed too late? And then it's right. probably because you have devices on or you or like you're watching TV and you lose track of time. There's various reasons. You had caffeine. Yeah, you know, caffeine. Too late. Yeah. So that's, that's really good. Um, I'm trying to think if there's any other pivots that I want to dig into. Um, I really like what you said about trusting your gut. So how do, how do you feel like that informs your decision making from here on out? Like, do you, do you still feel like you're going to take a rational process to, to some decisions, but at the end and apply that, that gut scenario? Or do you feel like what you were saying earlier about you spent a week where all you did was trust your gut? Um, do you feel like there's broader application or is it, is it somewhere in between? So I don't spend, I think I've reduced the amount of time that I spend rationally weighing the the individual features and i i think and this is probably true in many cases i just try to get close and then i put all my weight behind whatever that decision is and then i feel like if you get close and put all your weight behind it that's that's the best way that's the best approach rather than spending a ton of time uh weighing each option and thinking about it all the time i think that if you just pick a like the eighty five percent solution and then just go for it, that you will that you won't have buyers remorse. Because if you just spent three months weighing all these options and then you end up not liking the decision, then it's like wow, it really hurts because I wasted all this time trying to rationally come up with a decision. Whereas if you just spend, I mean, I don't want to spend no time just looking at it, but I want to figure out what the one or two most important things are, do some research, get some experience related to that, and then make my decision. Yeah, and I agree with that. And the one thing that I've found is, unless it's like a, a major, major decision, making a, a solid decision and acting on it gives you more time to you know, change your plan or iterate at right. some point. Right, that's so, exactly right. Yeah. It's very, very George S. Patton of us. Uh, a, a good plan executed today is better than a perfect plan tomorrow. Uh, I had a uh, a commander that his. Oh, you were the. You remember Colonel Sinet at in Turkey? Maybe not. Oh, he, yeah. was, he was a wing commander, mm-hmm. and his philosophy was uh, ready, fire, aim. <laughs> nice. <laughs> I like that. I think he was there right when I got there. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Well, that's good. I. I don't really have anything else tonight. Um, did you have any other thing that you wanted to dig in on? I know you wrote down a few questions before we got started. Oh, I lost your audio. Oh, so I'm back. So <laughs> I I wrote down a couple questions. The first is, in general, are you aware or unaware at the time of each of event how how big of an impact it's going to have on your life i would say (laughs) massively unaware in general like i 
I think I lock myself into just that circumstance a lot and I don't I don't necessarily apply a long-term vision I, th- I think I would say the one exception is this move to to Nashville um, because I didn't necessarily expect it to be a super smooth transition um, in a lot of ways but I, I think I had a longer term vision for that but I would say in general when I'm making decisions I'm pretty locked into just that current scenario and not necessarily looking at the big picture which I would say is something that I would like to improve on in the future but it's definitely true of the past and and near future as well yeah I think I think it's hard and it's hard to so I think a lot about assignments uh, being in the military you know your different moves and so when I was working assignments for the Air Force basically I was the one that moved people from base to base and I was making decisions on which base they're gonna move to next Uh, you most people are only concerned about okay what impact is going to have on me in the next two or three years but it's like oftentimes i would sit back and think about just the long-term life impact that i would be having on people moving them to this base and Mm -hmm. the impact that would have on the rest of their lives kind of crazy kind of crazy so did that swing how you thought about it for yourself as well i don't think so no, it was just it was just how <laughs> I the, think the problem was I I kind of know what I it isn't really a decision, I guess. I kind of have input into it, but I also I know what the what generally I, where I should be moving next. So I don't I don't I don't think it's like a big decision for me. I don't know. You basically you just get the rational side. You get to put in your rational places and then somebody else makes the emotional decision for you that's how it works although see what i wanted this is very uncommon so when i'm when i was moving people around people would have a tendency to write all this nonsense about you know i want to go work space because i have i minored in space or like i really i subscribe to space weekly and it's really aligned with my time as an and the, you can tell it's all BS. <laughs> Sorry, the people that really I'm believe that. Over here. <laughs> but I'm like, dude, just tell me you want to go to LA because you want to go surfing. Like no. that's and maybe that's probably not the best reason, and it's not going to sway me over uh, someone that wants to go there because they're they want to be there for their uh, closer to their family, like their aging parents. But it's better than telling me all this nonsense about. <laughs> how which is i guess that's not exactly true i did take that into account but yeah. there was sometimes you can tell when someone truly has a passion for a certain uh field or location and when they're just giving you a bunch of bs yeah absolutely that's true that's true not just in assignments <laughs> oh, right, all over right. the place that's cool Was there another question? Oh, so my other... <clears throat> then we already talked about at length of should you trust your gut or should you make a rational decision? And then I already, already explained like my thoughts on it that sure. your subconscious your subconscious can process a ton of, amount, a ton of information but it's going to be biased. Like it's a fact that it's going to have biases in certain ways because like you may think of a city based on a movie you watched about that city. And so mm-hmm. if, if you don't, if you're not careful, 
you're going to make a decision based on a movie you watched instead of like maybe you should go give yourself real experience in that city to help inform your decision versus recognizing that it's only based on some movie you watched that you liked yeah that's definitely true the uh for anyone listening that hasn't read the book blink by malcolm gladwell that is an amazing and um much more detailed description of what we're talking about of how how the brain really breaks down incredibly complex things and gives you an instantaneous reaction. Yeah, there's also a book called Thinking Fast and Slow. That's that's on the same topic. I haven't read that one. That's a good one. You should check it out. I definitely will. But yeah, I mean, when you think about something silly like when a song comes on from, you know, 10 or 15 years ago and it just like trans transports you to that exact place, you're like, the brain is amazing how how it can chart these memories and emotions at the same time. Right. And we so often, like you said, kind of discount the power of the brain and think that our, our rational side is so much more powerful when it's really, it's calculating very small amounts of data compared to what, what you, the emotion is actually taking into consideration. Right. Yeah, that's, that's absolutely perfect. So any, any closing thoughts? No, so my thoughts are trust your gut, but watch out for biases. And to reduce biases, my number one recommendation is to get more experience, a wider range of experience. Oh, I like that. And, and I like trying something kind of like you did with programming that's, that's completely outside of what you've done in the past, where you're going to feel very out of your depths uh, and need to reach out to people who have more experience in it than you. Yeah, this is the hardest thing I've done in a long time. That's awesome. Well, I'm, I'm excited to check out your app. Uh, hopefully you can get that debugged and maybe we can post it post it online do you think so people yeah, can maybe, check it out yeah. I'd That'd love to get some feedback on it oh cool well uh, I'm Frank Boyce and this is Axel Clark go out there make some decisions trust your gut make things happen Yeah.
Yeah.